Well, that's good. Thanks, band. We appreciate it. We appreciate Ryan uh, stepping up to the front. Edward, the normal worship guy, is up with the kids at camp because he's 23. And those of us who are no longer 23 wanted someone to go up there who won't break. So that's great. That was terrific. My favorite as they were heading off, uh, Tamara, who's usually one of our singers, was going up. And she's a nurse. And so she's been working overnights the last few days. And then she was going up, and her car was full of teenage boys. And she was running on very little sleep. And they've got camp energy already. So I gave him a little talk, and I said, uh, there's a lot of mountains, and if you don't want Tamara to drive off of one of them, you guys need to monitor yourself uh, on the way up there. Let's keep each other in check. I know you're excited. I want you to be excited. But if you drive Tamara too crazy, this isn't going to end well, So, and I'll hear from the police. So they got there safely, and I really want to celebrate those uh, bunch of 14-year-old boys who were able to control themselves because if you remember being 14 and you're going to camp, which is exciting. We'd show you some pictures, but the parents would be terrified. What the, you know, they're jumping off of tall buildings. I don't know what they're doing up there. Every one of the videos I'm getting, it makes me thinking that uh, we're going to be down to three kids. But our 14-year-old is there, and our 11-year-old next year gets to go. Okay, so today we're talking about limitations. I told you last week I grew up with a semi-Jewish dad. So, uh, so limitations is the key to success and happiness in life. And I'll give you a moment to say in your head, really, I got up early for this. I don't, need, I don't need this kind of talk, but I think I can convince you. So tomorrow we're going to start a 10-day fast. Dan, so you sign up out in the lobby, you put your name on it, you admit what you're going to fast from. And then you put your email address, and every day for 10 days, starting tomorrow, Dan's going to send us a little pep talk, some scripture reading. Dan's been sick the last two Sundays, but he's, he, he assures me he can still type. So we'll be, we'll be fine. Dan actually said, I'm feeling better. I've just given it to everybody else in the house. You know how we try to share, so that's good. The reason we're going to do a 10-day fast is we're going to attempt something this spring that we haven't done in a long time with any success. We are going to try to do old-fashioned small groups from back in the day before TV and screen time and social media ruled our lives. Back in the day, when we would do small groups, it was an opportunity. So Rick Warren, who's now the chancellor of my seminary in London, I, I, I don't have any more information, nor do my friends who I went to seminary there with. It's like, yeah, I don't know. He just told us he wanted to be chancellor, and so he is. We're curious what he's going to do. But he was part of a huge church in Southern California, And about 25 years ago, he wrote a book, very simple book. The opening line is, it's not about you. And it's 40 days of reading a couple of pages. And then once a week, you sit down with your small group. We talk about the topic on Sunday. And the idea is after 40 days, you now really understand what the God of the universe is calling us to do and how to live and and explains a lot about life. Oh, it's brilliant. And we're going to kick it off with a Super Bowl party February 11th right here. Chili kickoff. We're going to have a whole room with TV and sound for those of you who really want to be in there for the game. But for the rest of us, we'll have games and chili cook-off. And we're going to try this. And when we did this sort of thing years ago, it worked. And now, between the oddness of COVID and the fact that nobody's from here, where we say loneliness is one of our primary challenges in life, but then we don't want to do the things that solve loneliness, like 
you know, meet people. So we're going to try this spring, something just incredibly radical. And so as I was praying about this and talking to minister friends who are going to tell me it's not going to work, and um, what we kept, kept coming back to is we as Western culture people, outside of our actual work, spend 11 hours a day on screens. The math doesn't work, does it? We're sleep-deprived and lonely because... So here's how they got that. So they put a, a, a camera on somebody at work, and they're working away, and then an email comes in, and so now they're going to answer the email, and then there's a link. So they click on the link, and now they're online. So on their line, I would check the Yankees, and you guys would check something else, and, and now that you're there, you oh, yeah, that thing reminds you, and now you're in a rabbit hole, and then you're on YouTube, and then you're on social media, and you're checking what your fourth-grade friend's wife posted from, right? And then you realize, oh, I've got a job, and so then you try to get back into the workflow, and all of that time, and then you go home, and I'm trying to watch that Elvis movie. That thing is weird. I have tried five consecutive days, and I checked, and I still have two hours and 40 minutes to go. Oh, my gosh. Uh, how, do, how do you people watch this stuff? This is painful. Oh, I watch biking videos on YouTube. So all of that non-work screen time, we average 11 hours a day. Plus, if you're working between work and sleep, that's 50% of your time. The numbers don't add up. That's why we don't have time for friends, why we don't have time for small groups. So we are going to do a fast. And maybe it's from screen time. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's from sports. How do you know what to fast from? What you know deep down, if you did less, it would make your life better. So maybe, maybe it's one meal a day. I don't know, I wouldn't recommend you just not eat for 10 days. But to skip a meal and then spend a little bit of that time reading Dan's email, supposed to have a little encouragement and a scripture thoughts, and, and just recognize the God of the universe is instead of eating that meal. Or maybe if you're too hammered by 7 p.m., if when I say join a small group and you're like, I couldn't drive home, maybe, maybe take a break. 10-day fast, back off the booze a little bit. Maybe it's uh, screen time. Maybe it's social media. If you look through the list, what we're going to do is something very odd in our culture. We will post the wildest stuff online. Can I get an amen? But do we want to then put our name in a church directory? No, that'd be an invasion of privacy. I don't understand our culture today. I am almost 56 years old. I'm not allowed to understand culture anymore, right? I'm just an old man standing on my lawn. But I'm going to try to point out to you that the small groups are worth it. And the way we're going to get there is by fasting. From what? What do you know will make your life better if you would back off? What do we do less of? What do we do more of? What do we do not at all? And no one's going to call you if you write it down and no one's going to call you and say, what a disappointment you are to the rest of us. This is meant to be an encouragement, a help. You have some things that you'd like to do more of, less of, and not at all. What, what is that? So write it down. And we're going to normalize it because you're not the only one. All right, I want to I tell you some comedy that just walked in. So Chet and the kids, Ryan was standing here in the middle. Dad was working hard leading worship. And they got here just as soon as it was over. It's not personal, right? We, we spent time with them on the mountain last, yesterday. We had a great time in the snow. It was like us. We were all exhausted, spending time uh, act, being active and sledding mountain air. Even the dog slept great last night, so uh, it's good to see you guys. And uh, Dad did a great job. We can we can attest. So, 
fasting for 10 days starting tomorrow. So go out and write it down, and we're going to do this for 10 days. We're going to and then we're going to try this small group. We're going to kick it off with a, a Super Bowl here at church. And it all comes down to this novel concept that limitations are the key to success. And this one's really crucial. You choose the limitations. When we're kids and our parents choose our limitations, eventually we get to an age where we, re- we rebel against those. It's not that they're not good for us. But we want to go to college and, and gain the freshman 15. We want to eat chocolate right before bed. We want to have way too much pizza. Vegetables, we don't even want to know how to spell those. We want to go through our time, and then you reach an age in life where you realize, I need to choose my own limitations. You get in the car, we choose limitations. Most of us choose limitations. I'm a little concerned by how many people no longer seem to take stoplights seriously. Have you noticed? Eh, It's only been 15 seconds. I could make it. So successfully to drive, you have to choose limitations. A light is green, I go, and it's red, and I stop. I don't have to. It's wise if I do. There's painted lines on pavement. And if I stay on this line and they stay on their line, then I can successfully get to where I want to go. Choose limitations. Come down the mountain yesterday and someone's going a little slow. I agree. They were going slow. Probably passing on Mount Lemmon on a curve isn't the way to go. But the car ahead of us chose to do that. They lived through it, thankfully. But not everybody does. Self-imposed limitations on life is how we get into a car and get there successfully, and it's how we succeed. The Bible word is joy. It makes us happier. So what is it that you have to limit yourself from? We want to do more things like exercise, but I don't have time. I don't have the energy. I want to do less of And there are some things we need to just do, not at all. There's not helpful for us. And so you pick yours because if anybody tells you what it is, your spouse can't get you, can't buy you a weight loss book. Here's your Christmas present, honey. It's not going to work. Not going to work. You have to pick your own limitations for our own reasons. So that's what we're going to focus on. And, and, Last week we talked about Jesus said the entire point of the Bible is love God and love others. Relationships with the one who created us and with those that God puts in our life, that's the whole point. Now, does that mean people are always easy? No. But try to live life without people. Does it mean God is always easy? No. Try to live life without God. Many do, and it's unsuccessful. So today we've got something Luke wrote down for us, a Jesus story. Dr. Luke is like us, did not meet Jesus face-to-face. Luke met Jesus after the cross, after the resurrection, after Jesus went back to heaven, and then Jesus met, well, Paul met Jesus. The apostle Paul was trying to kill all the Jesus followers, didn't get it. And then Jesus said, hey, why are you trying to persecute me? And Paul said, well, I didn't know you were real. This is awkward. I'll stop. And then Paul started telling everybody about Jesus. You know, that guy I was saying was, was fake? No, it turns out he's not. I've met him, and uh, he's real, and now I'm on board. And Luke heard Paul talking and then joined with Paul, and, and he wrote the book of Luke, the third one in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke has the baby stories because he wasn't there for any of it. So he went back and talked to people who knew Jesus. And Mother Mary has the baby stories because Mom always remembers the baby stories. Dad hopefully has a general idea of how many children they have, but Mom has the details. That's why we have the baby stories in Luke. And now this one, Luke wasn't there for this one. But as Jesus was telling stories, the ones that really stuck with people, they would tell Luke. 
how great was this event that Jesus had? So he's talking to a crowd of people, and he's telling them, don't worry so much. It's bad for your heart, and your whole challenge is to trust that the God of the universe has your best interests at heart. That's your challenge here on this life where we have this crazy stuff going on. Great speech. And if you have to give a speech defending your faith, don't even worry about it. The Holy Spirit of God will show up and give you the words that you need. Jesus finishes this speech. Now it's down to the Q&A. And this happens. First person says with enthusiasm, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. You know how we do? I'm good. Great speech, Jesus. I'm good. That person is who you need to talk to. My brother. Divide my estate. Now, in this culture... The oldest brother got pretty much everything. For this reason, mom and dad only had so much. And it was an agricultural society for the most part, so there's land. And there were a lot of kids, a lot of infant mortality, a lot of kids to work the land. So let's say mom and dad have six kids. And you've got 100 acres. And you divide up 100 acres divided by six kids. Now nobody has enough to live. So the oldest brother gets pretty much all of it. And everybody else is on their own, which is why there were plenty of people willing to be Roman soldiers because that's a pretty good job. Or you had to go into town and start your own business. That was the culture of the day. And slavery, we all agree slavery is a bad thing, but in the Roman culture, you could be a slave of someone and own your own business. You could have a lot more freedom than the way we did it here in America. And it was because, well, I don't have any land so I don't have an income. I, I can't get married because her dad's never going to let me. I'm too much of a deadbeat. I've got to have an income to support her and our future family. So you would end up being sl- sold into slavery, but there was all kinds of tears of slavery. It was, be thankful you weren't in the Roman culture. So this brother is saying, my older brother got everything from our dad. Will you tell him to divide it up with me? so that I don't have to become a Roman soldier, I don't have to start my own business, I don't end up in slavery. Well, that seems reasonable. But this guy said, I don't want my little portion, I want half. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Well, aren't you God in sandals? But Jesus just said, don't spend your life worried about what you don't have. It's the whole point of the talk. And then this guy says this. Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So Jesus is starting to introduce this concept of self-imposed limits. We all want more, but there's no way we're ever going to be satisfied by more. So to start working within the limits... Solomon showed us, you want one good spouse and to invest in one good spouse. You don't want 700 of them. That doesn't go well. You might think it goes well, but it doesn't go well. We can think we want lots of cars, but you pretty much have to be Jay Leno and have that now be your job in order for you to really enjoy lots of cars. Limits. There's good things about limits. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much You own stuff is not the point of life. And then Jesus goes into a story like Jesus was wont to do. Verse 16. Then Jesus told them a story. 
This isn't a reporting of what happened down the street. Jesus is making a point. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Now, we're disconnected from our farmers. They were not. So the context tells us. Remember the guy said, tell my brother to divide up dad's estate, which means land and the money, mostly land. So now he says a rich man was a wealthy farmer, lots of land. It was fertile land, lots of crops to sell. So this guy inherited dad's farm. This guy in the story would tell my brother, if I had a fertile farm, I'd be happy. And Jesus says, look at this. This guy, did he create the the dirt, the fertile farm dirt? No. The Heavenly Father created the dirt. Did this guy create photosynthesis? No. So the guy in the story has a fertile farm, just like this guy in the crowd wants. Verse 17, this rich guy in the story said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. So we know this one. What does a farmer who has a successful crop do with the crops? Sell them. Seems too obvious. Well, I think the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds like sell them. If you have crops, you sell the crops so that you get the money as a reward for all of your labors to celebrate that God gave you gifts and opportunities to solve problems for all the other God's children, and you let them have food. We like to eat. We need to eat. The problem is most of us eat a lot more than we need to because we want to, We're not supposed to hoard perishable items. Sounds revolutionary even saying that in 2023. If we hoard perishable items that are meant to be consumed, they will spoil. And Jesus' point of the story is, as you'll see in a moment, if we hoard perishable items that others could be enjoying, we may be found too dumb to live. Look at this. Then this rich guy said, I know, I'll tear down my current barns and build bigger ones. No, you nut, you sell. You sell. You sell the perishable items. It's a crop. What are you going to do? Put it in a barn and let it rot and mold and let the mice have it? You sell it. That's the whole point. How do we know if we have too much stuff? If you have so much stuff, you have to pay for storage, you have too much stuff. Can I get an amen? I don't mean to step on toes. Our rule in our house is we have to be able to park our garage in our car, in our car closet. We have to park our, our cars in the garage, right? We might have to park our garage anywhere. Which means we can only have so much stuff out there. It's, it's my rule. Everybody in marriage has their, has their things, and that's one of mine. It's not a storage compartment for anything other than cars. So we line the sides of it. It's got kids' bikes and Christmas decorations and all kinds of stuff. The mountain stuff, oh, where's the snow bag, right? It's all out there. But we have to have our big minivan and my tiny little car, I'll tell you about in a minute, in there. We have friends that my wife really wanted that third garage part to park the kids' bikes. What happens to that third part of the garage, we know from everybody that has kids, is it's full of boxes that you move to that house because the other house you outgrew, and you really have no idea what's in those boxes because those actually came from the previous house, and most of the boxes kind of lean a little bit. We were here for years when we still had stickers on boxes from where we live north of Chicago, and finally we went through them. We're like, oh, I forgot we had this stuff. Well, it's probably not that valuable then. 
How do you know you have too much stuff if you have to pay for storage? That's what this guy was doing. I'll tear down these barns and build bigger ones. No. It's a fertile crop. You sell it. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. No. This isn't saying we can't have anything. I want to stress that. This is not saying we can't have anything. This isn't saying that you can't be loaded. That's not what this is saying. This is not saying whatever you have, sell it. That's not what it said. This guy had fertile crops and fertile ground, none of which he had anything to do other than he put the seed in the ground. Did he invent the seed? No. He is simply using what God gave him effectively. That's what all of us should be doing. We should be profiting from that. And then you have this great crop. Good, sell it. Let people get at your, what you have to offer society. Let people have at it. It doesn't say we can't enjoy our stuff. I get, my, I get more enjoyment. I'll say something bold. I get more enjoyment out of my little uh, boxy Toyota than you do out of your car. My car, just in the last year, with all the crazy car prices, I found this thing on Craigslist for less than five grand. I made John go with me to check it out mechanically, and it was good. And then I took it to my mechanic. He said, no, it's good. It needed one $300 repair. It has 175,000 miles on it. It's stick shift. It gets 30-some miles per gallon. I love this car. It's not my first choice. I have this car because of limitations. I genuinely enjoy this car. I have this car because my rule in the garage, so there's the Christmas decorations, right, the big metal storage with all the boxes, and then there's kids' bikes, and then there's room for my car. Your car would not fit in my side of the garage. That's why I have my car. I think it's a, it's a Scion XB. I think it's a Corolla that they just turned into a minivan. I think it's what that car is. So I can take the kids to school in it. In a pinch, all five of us can be in there. I can put my bike in there. It does everything I need for it to do. And it's fun to zip around in a, in a, in a stick shift. I look forward to the day. The kids are out of the house. They're not in here. One's at camp, the other two are behind the doors. I look forward to the day when the kids are out of the house, and I can have a luxury SUV because the kids' bikes are gone. Those things take up a lot of room. But I'm not in a hurry. I enjoy our children, and for as long as they're there and want to ride bikes, then they'll be in front of my car and we'll be riding bikes. But the day will come where they don't want to ride bikes anymore, and I'm going to get myself a Lexus RX. Can I get an Amen. I'm excited. You just get to slide into that thing, and you close the door, and the world goes quiet. I look forward to that day. But the reason I have my little boxy Toyota is because I'm a fool. I used to have what is, comes close to me to be a dream car. It was a, it was a tall convertible. It was a stick shift. It was a Jeep Wrangler. I had that thing for almost 10 years, and I loved that thing. And it would fit between the Christmas decorations, the bike, and the garage door. I don't have that because I did not follow this rule that I'm trying to convince you of about self-imposed limitations. Because I drove around for almost 10 years on that thing with the top off the whole time. When I sold it, it had the original top because the sun had never touched it. My parents used to live here, elderly parents. They're both gone now. I'm almost 56, and I'm the youngest of six. So they, they lived into my 40s and 50s. Great parents, loved them. So at the end of their life, they came to live with us for a while in Tucson before we shipped them off to D.C. when we had kids. I would go and get my mom and my dad 
and uh, to take them to doctor's appointments. I would load their walker into the back of my Jeep, and then we would zoom along with the top off. One time, I took my dad to get new hearing aids, and the lady said, Paul, I know that you've got memory issues, but you have to remember to take these off before you get in the shower. These cannot get wet. My dad, who couldn't remember anything, remembered this. About eight minutes later, we're zooming down River Road, and monsoon hits. Now, my elderly father, I, I can't turn off, Dad. I don't know. My elderly father, no top on, the, no doors. 87-year-old man's trying to get his hearing aids out into the box and into the glove compartment before they short out, and he gets yelled at by, by Sarah or whatever her name was. It wasn't me. I didn't take a shower. My, my son is too dumb to put the top on. So we ship Mom and Dad back to uh, D.C., and we have baby Jackson, who's now 14 and trying to kill himself at camp. And so he would be in the car seat, in the back, wind-whipped, also on River Road, until one day he was old enough, and we had met mom somewhere, and, and my little, I don't know what he was, four, he looks at me and says, hey, Daddy, is the top off the Jeep? It's like, well, yeah. And he said, then I'm going to ride home with mommy. That's the day that we sold the Jeep and got a minivan. And it's my fault all I had to do was put the top on, and I could still be driving that Jeep. It's in great shape. I know the guy who has it. It's still in great shape. The reason why I don't have the car I really want to watch, because I would like to have, is because I didn't put limitations. And you are going to find the same thing. If you are honest with yourself, you've got a 100 stories you could tell just like that. You drank too much, you ate too much, you didn't exercise enough, you didn't show up at work on time, you didn't study in college, you, right? The list goes on. And if you don't have a story like that, I bet you eight bucks the person next to you does. So, self-imposed limits, but you have to impose them on yourself. I didn't want to put the top on. I wanted to just enjoy my convertible. I could have put the top on, but instead, I chose to sell it, and the minivan is great. It's out front. It's a Honda. It's terrific. But if we don't put the limitations on ourselves, life will. So back to the fool. Can we have nice things? Yes. If you're done with a car, you know what I didn't do? I didn't just park the Jeep in the driveway. I didn't just park it out back here and leave it for the last 10 years or whatever it's been. I sold it to someone who's getting good use out of it and sends me pictures on occasion to rub it in. But we don't just let stuff sit around. If you're done with a car, then sell it to somebody. Let them use it. Just leave it there. If, I want to stress, Jesus isn't saying we can't have nice things. If you're a growing family and this house isn't big enough, then you get the bigger house. And then, when all the kids leave, what do we do? We downsize back to smaller. doesn't mean you're sinning against Jesus to get the bigger house. It doesn't mean that if you've got a few things in the closet that remind you of, of, of you know, memorabilia, that you're wrong. But there are some limits here. So this guy, instead of selling his crops, was going to sell enough, and then he's going to keep the rest. This fool continues with this inherited, he inherited the successful farm, and he did his part, but God blessed that with fertile land. Verse 19, this guy says, And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, I'll say to myself, my friend, that's good, good self-esteem. Ted, you are wonderful. Hello, friend. 
I don't usually wake up in the morning and say to myself, hello, friend, but this guy, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And no, Jesus was Jewish. There's no word in the Jewish culture, I'm sold in also in Latin America culture, for retire. Now you can stop your job. In 10 years, I'll be done being a professional minister. But I, I won't be done going to church and being part of small groups and caring about people. There's not a word in the Jewish language that Jesus was speaking in for retire. We are supposed to Sabbath every week. We can retire from our job, and we worked, and we brought money in, and we spent less than we made, and we saved and invested the difference, and now we have retirement savings. We can draw from our retirement savings. He didn't say you can't retire. But if this guy had produced his crops and sold it for the benefit of everybody, including himself, and he reached a day where he's ready to be done with the work, you can sell the farm and live off of the proceeds. All that is great. What this guy wanted to do was quit. This guy wanted to quit the point of life. Love God, love others. You don't love God by taking the gifts that God has given you and not using them. And you don't love others by hoarding perishable goods. This guy had a responsibility, what he'd been given. And if he wants to be done, he can be done. So sell it. Pass on the responsibility and the rewards to somebody else. We're allowed to retire. We can't quit life. Don't quit the point of life, which is to serve others through relationships. There's always a way to do that. Verse 20. But God said to this rich guy, you fool. If there's a phrase you don't want to hear coming from heaven directed towards you, it's you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Jesus just said, this guy's too dumb to live. The point of life isn't stuff. The point is relationships. The story started with, tell my brother to divide it up. And Jesus isn't talking to the brother. He's talking to this guy. Don't worry. Be less focused on stuff. We can have nice stuff, but working within the limitations of what we do have. Verse 21, Jesus says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but is that the end of the sentence? No. The Bible actually says it's a blessing to pass down to your children's children an inheritance. The only way you're going to do that, notice the generations, is you have to teach them. And mostly they're going to watch you. So, is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. There's a lot of people in the Bible, great relationship with God, who are loaded. King David and Abraham and, the, and Solomon, and the list goes on. The creator of the universe meant for you to be born. Might have been a little bit of a surprise to mom and dad, but not, not to the creator of the universe. And God gave each of us, gave you a gift, maybe more than one. And we're supposed to use that gift in service of other people to solve other people's problems. I'm hungry. Hey, let's go buy some wheat from that guy. He had a good crop. I'm hungry. Well, that guy's not selling. We're supposed to serve others. We then benefit with a rich relationship with the God of the universe and a rich relationship with those around us. We have that unique gift, maybe more than one, serve other people with it, we are calling this influence in the community because people are watching us. Your friends and family probably aren't reading the Bible, but they'll watch you. We are influencers in our own group. The 
people around you that God put in your life, at home and in work and the community, and we are so fortunate we get to choose what we want in life. There are cultures of the world throughout time and even today who don't get a choice. We get to choose. What do we say to kids? What do you want to be when you grow up? When you're in school, oh, what are you studying? We get to choose what we want. We limit ourselves. We get to choose the path that gets us where we want to go. So the key is focus, like a laser. That's what limiting does. It's the benefit of a laser. Spotlight, spotlight is good. When you go to the store, they spotlight the shirt they want you to buy. When you go to the car dealership, they spotlight the car they want you to buy. A laser, they don't put a laser on the shirt they want you to buy. A laser is how you get things done. Spotlight is I want that, and a laser is commitment. A laser gets things done. So the reason why tomorrow we're going to begin our community 10-day fast is we're working on a little bit more of being a laser. What, what should we do less of so, what should we can, so that we have time to do more of? And what do we need to stop doing altogether? It's just not helpful. It's destructive. So no one's going to come to your house and tell you what a disappointment you are. Well, at least none of us, you know. You've got your own friends and family you have to deal with. But as we go out for snacks, the band will do the final song. Then we're going to go turn left and have our snacks. I'll, I'll give you the rundown of all the announcements, the fun stuff coming up. And then we'll go get our snacks. Take a few minutes. Chat with people. The kids are covered until 1 o'clock. And then find that sheet on the big table by the sliding doors. Write down your name, how Dan can contact you, and what is it you're going to take a fast from for 10 days. Maybe it's too much. You can't just give it up. You're just going to do less for 10 days. Let's normalize it. We're, we're, not, we're not the only ones. This is for you. So that the God of the universe, your creator, doesn't call you a fool. Let's get prayed up. Heavenly Father, I appreciate all those who are here. And what we ask is for you to move in our life in a way that amazes us. To actually trust that you have more for us than we can even imagine. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, that relationship, maybe today is the day that ABC approach to the relationship with you. A is to admit that we've been living our own lives and we recognize there are limitations to living life our way. B is to believe that Jesus is the one who makes us worthy of the throne room of God, who can forgive us and wash us clean, make us worthy of our God. And C is to choose to make the commitment each and every day to be, embrace being the child of God you created us to be from not only now but all the way into eternity. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen.